Grace Chapel podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We're so glad you're here. Before we get started, we want to remind you of the importance of being connected into a local church body. Podcasts are a gift from God, but are meant to be supplemental and not substitute or replace the gathering of the saints in worship in the Word. With that being said, we pray that this teaching would bless you, equip you, and encourage you in your walk with Christ. As I mentioned, it is Palm Sunday. Um, I don't have particularly a Palm Sunday message prepared for you, but everything we're doing is rooted in who Christ is and what he came to do for us. And so as we continue in James this morning, and we're gonna, we're gonna be really honing in on just kind of that patient endurance that he calls us to. The foundation of this is Christ's endurance. As the scripture tells us, he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. And then the writer of Hebrews encourages us then after he says that, that we are to endure and run our race well. And so that's what we're talking about this morning. Our, our Lord who endured much for us is now calling us to hang in there through the ups and downs of relationships, through the trials and just difficulties of this life that we would endure. And so how many know we need some special prayer to have hearts that can endure, amen? So let's just, let's invite him one more time to guide us as we dive into James. We'll be in James chapter five, verses seven through 12 this morning. And so let's invite the Lord to come just grow us in his word. So Jesus, thank you that you are the word made flesh. You're the living word. And God, we're not asking you to do a miracle in our hearts, Lord. Would this word come alive in us? May we be people of the word, know it, who are filled with it. And Holy Spirit, because of your gracious presence in our lives, we can live this out. Your word can be manifest in us. It can come alive in us. We can walk in this. And so God, we just declare our need for you this morning. God, I acknowledge ways where it's hard for me to be patient. It's hard for me to endure. And so God, I thank you that you are the one ultimately who is long-suffering and patient and kind, that you're the one who is steadfast. And Lord, I ask that you would help me and all my friends gathered here, that we would grow in this. God, that you would, you would anchor us, that we might endure the day and age we are in and those that are coming. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. So the title of this is Establish Your Heart. Establish Your Heart. That's James' call, that our hearts would be established as we're called to patience and steadfast endurance and being loyal to the Lord, just, just hanging in there with them. And so there's kind of three main points this morning. The first is this, be patient, the Lord is coming. Be patient, the Lord is coming. Let's start in James 5, 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. Your, your translation there, if you go old school, King James might say the early or the latter rains, the former or the latter rains. I love that, the latter rains that come. This is actually a repeated phrase. So remember, while this, this word is for us, Remember what we said early in this series, James is writing to Jewish believers who know the Old Testament inside and out, are believing in Jesus as the, the Messiah who was promised, 
And these are Jewish believers who've been dispersed. Like the church was born in Jerusalem, but these guys have been dispersed throughout, mostly because of persecution. Okay, so he's writing to people who are going through it. And he's reminding them of a phrase that would be familiar to them. The early and latter rain. Be patient for the Lord. In the midst of the season that you're in, he's coming just as he promised. And so in the same way, he uses this imagery of this farmer who waits for the precious fruit of the earth, who's relying on something he can't control. Farmers can't control the rain. They're waiting patiently for the Lord to provide what only he can provide this, this early and latter rain. So I wanna take you to one of the passages in the scripture where this comes up. And so we're gonna go to Deuteronomy chapter 11. And for the next few minutes, we'll kind of be in both James chapter five and Deuteronomy 11, um, as we just see the richness of what James is reminding them of and now calling us to here, to be patient for this latter rain. So notice the connection um, Moses makes here in Deuteronomy. This is Deuteronomy 11, beginning in verse 13. And if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, he will give the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the later rain, that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil, and he will give grass in your fields for your livestock, and you shall eat and be full. See, James is echoing this passage. And so where James calls us to be patient until the coming of the Lord, like Moses helps flesh this out. Like, how am, how am I able to be patient? I do this. I obey his commands. I love him. I serve him. I give him my heart. How do I remain patient? I follow the Lord and I trust him for the outcomes that are in his hand alone. That's how I'm patient. See, for many of us being patient, like at least for me, I should say, when, when I'm in a season where I need to be patient, I'm constantly trying to figure out what I need to do. And there's an element where there is some activity that we're called to in seasons of waiting. But if I'm honest, usually what I'm doing is not, not being obedient. Usually what I'm doing is I'm trying to be in control. I don't like where I'm at. I don't like what's going on. I don't like how long it's taking. And so I try to figure out how to get control of the situation by getting my hands on it. And the reality is what we're called to do is just faithfully follow the Lord's leading and trust him with the outcomes that are out of our control. This picture here that's given, the farmer that waits for the fruit to be produced by the early and by the latter rain. Um, this imagery is actually significant. And so there, there's a whole season of rain in Israel where um, the planting for wheat, especially like for this grain, the planting is in like October-ish. And so everything's hot and dry through the summer. The ground is getting like dry and hard and parched. And so what the early rain that James and Moses are talking about, the early rain that comes, it softens and prepares the ground for the seed. Like it gets the ground even ready to receive something that will then get rained on throughout the rainy winter season. And there's all this stuff happening below the surface 
that isn't seen, but it's getting watered and cared for so that it can bud and then grow and produce fruit. See, for some of us, the the patience might be that we're in a season where it's like, Lord, I'm dried up. (laughs) The ground is hard. My heart's hard. I haven't experienced rain in quite a while. Lord, I don't even feel like I've got anything fresh growing or stirring in me. Anybody ever relate to that? Maybe you're not there yet now, but you've been there. Yeah. See, the Lord will come in those dry, parched seasons if we'll just be patient with him. It's just a season. It will not last forever. He's coming. And he'll come with the early rain to soften the ground, to get you ready for that seed. So the reality is even in that season when nothing's planted, it's important for the ground to rest and to be ready for what's coming. And he will be faithful in season to bring that early rain. For some of us, it's like, man, the seed's been planted and I've done the work of the farmer, man. Like, you know, I, I don't know. I'm terrible using like farming analogies because... I'm not a farmer. My wife's the gardener in the family, but like you, you hoe the ground, right? You like, is that a thing you do? You till it, you till it. I should move away from this really quickly. Y'all know those gardening things. Like you work, you sweat, you get the seed in the ground, right? You get it in at the right time. And then, and then there's that part where it's like, you're kind of tending it, but you're also just really trusting like, Is it going to get the sun it needs, the nutrients it needs, the rain that it needs? And so there's just that long season of like, it's now out of my hands. Like I've put it in place and I'm just waiting. And what I love about this is there's also this thing called the latter rain. And so there's this thing that happens like as the rainy season comes to an end and you're moving now into like March or April, there's this really beautiful gift that will show up as it's starting to dry out. And the grain is kind of ready to be harvested where there's these like last little blessings of rain that just create this extra boost of fruitfulness right at the end. And it's like, now it's ready. And see, sometimes we're there. We've been waiting and waiting. When's the harvest? Like, when am I gonna see the fruit of all this labor? And the point of all of this is like in all of these different seasons, the Lord is present, but he's coming and he's gonna bring what's needed right when it's needed based on his timeline because he knows. And so what I love about this beautiful picture that James is painting here is like he's giving us just this really beautiful picture of how the Lord works. But the other thing that I found to be really encouraging as I thought about this, remember what I mentioned a few minutes ago? He's writing to Jews who aren't at home. And he's writing them not just about Old Testament scripture that they know. They know the rhythms of home. They know the dry season. They know when that first rain shows up in the fall and how comforting it is and it's hopeful. They know about the latter rain. And so when they're far from home, he's reminding them of home, of the comfort and encouragement, that longing for home. Friends, that's all of us. None of us are home. Sometimes we try to create or cultivate a sense of home here on earth, and I think that's healthy and good and right. But any of it is just an echo of where home really is. And so what I love about this is he calls us to be patient. He's not just saying the Lord's coming in that day, although he is, 
but he comes throughout the seasons of life and brings fresh rain and fresh encouragement. And all of those are just little doses and little, little pictures of the ultimate home that awaits us, his return where he harvests us and brings us to himself, where we will be home forever. That's the picture. Do you see it? Do you see how this is meant to encourage us? Like James doesn't say, hey, things won't get hard, so just be patient. You're, you're overstating how difficult it is. No, it is hard. It is difficult, and it can seem like it's taking a really long time because when you're in it, it is. But he's saying, hang in there. The Lord's faithful through all the seasons of your life and ultimately he will be sure to fulfill his promise. He's gonna take you home and it's gonna be worth it. Now, immediately on the heels of this, Moses writes after this beautiful encouragement about what comes if we just stay patient, stay faithful. Immediately what follows is a warning. Deuteronomy 11, 16 and 17 now. Take care lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and you serve other gods and worship them. Friends, in the waiting, in the difficulty, when people let us down, when circumstances let us down, when it appears as if God himself has let us down, it can be so easy for our hearts to be wounded and discouraged and deceived and we turn aside. We lose the ability to remain patient and we turn aside and we serve other gods and worship them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain and the land will yield no fruit and you will perish quickly off the good land that the Lord is giving you. That deceptive way that at first glance appears hopeful like an escape, it's a dead end. It is unfruitful, and in fact, it's destructive. Beware. See, in order to remain patient, we must tend our heart as the farmer tends the land. When things get hard, friends, I want you to hear this. When things get hard, because it is happening in our day, and maybe you personally have struggled with it, what is happening for many in our day is that when things get hard, there's this thing going on called deconstructing our faith. There is a tendency to question everything when stuff goes sideways. I've seen church and church people screw it up and hurt me or hurt others I care about. And so we take that thing that is wrong and broken and then we question everything. Where's God? Where is people? What's going on? And like all the way back here in Deuteronomy, Moses is saying, be careful of this. Tend your heart. Life is going to get hard. How do you react to it? And friends, I just have to say to you, Moses' warning then is still the same warning today. When things get hard, the only deconstruction that should be happening is we should be tearing down idols. Because the things that get exposed when things get hard is not the failing of the Lord. What gets exposed is what we were really trusting all along. 
And he cares about us enough to let us lose faith in those things which will not satisfy. God forbid I ever stumble and fall. But if I blow it royally and damage my family and this church greatly, I hope you will stay faithful to the Lord. I hope you'll look at it and go, wow, that was messed up. And I don't know what was going with that bro or that hypocrisy or whatever. It's heartbreaking. But Jesus remains. He's faithful. He's good. And my heart belongs to him. Friends, don't deconstruct your faith in God. Let him expose the idols that you were believing in all along, that you were trusting in. Let him expose it and may they be torn down. That's the point. Do not turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. That's the warning. So back to James. He's already used this terminology, be patient. He's already told us to hang in there till the coming of the Lord. And then he gave us this beautiful picture of the early and latter rains. And now just really simply, verse eight, you also be patient. You also look at the farmer and learn from him and you be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. He says it again, the Lord's returning. So establish your hearts. He's coming for you. He loves you. Others may have let you down. The circumstances of this life may have let you down, but he is faithful and he'll do what he promised. So establish your heart in him. Back to Deuteronomy 11. Moses taught us how to do this. He taught us how to hang in there and be patient for the long haul. Look at this. Deuteronomy 11, 18 through 21. You shall therefore Lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house, when you are walking by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them as long as the heavens are above the earth. This isn't even the only place in Deuteronomy where Moses says all this. We're called to, to cultivate a way of life that readies us to be patient. Rhythms of life that keep before me what is essential. What is important? And it's just woven into the very fabric of my life, my home, my work, my relationships. I'm anchored in the truth of who my God is. I'm anchored in the truth of how he's calling me to walk and to live. And I keep these rhythms in my life. Mark, I think this might've been a conversation you and I had. I think it was maybe something Gary Peacock had said to you once, but it just resonated so strongly. And I've seen this to be true in my life. As, as people are struggling with their faith and are hurt and wounded, they begin to disrupt the rhythms, the faithful rhythms of their life. Like church doesn't feel safe, Christians don't feel safe, and they disrupt that. And as they're wrestling through like, God, what are you saying? What are you doing? I'm trying to figure out where I stand. One of the common themes I see over and over again is not just that they stop gathering with believers, they stop reading their Bible. 
Even if I'm pulling away from, from people who don't feel safe right now, so often you, you, I'll just ask like, well, are you reading the word? Are you seeking the Lord on that? No, they've stopped reading the Bible. They've stopped going to the one who has the answers, who actually tells us how to handle it when things go sideways in relationships, who actually teaches us how to handle it when the hurts and pains of this life come along, how to navigate when it appears that God himself has let us down. Friends, we draw close to him when things get hard, not pull away. We remain, we hang in there, we be consistent. James 5, verse nine now. I find this so interesting after two straight verses about being patient, being patient, steadfast in your heart, waiting on the Lord. It feels like he's doing this like turn sideways, right? Like he just drops this verse in here, verse nine. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Like, why is he now talking about grumbling against each other? Well, because the word patient that he just used a couple of times, it's the only time in all of James where he uses that particular word. And generally, not always, but generally that particular Greek word for patience there relates to being patient with people. Being patient with people. We're gonna come to endurance in a minute or the word steadfast. That's about being patient in difficult circumstances. But this word patient is about being patient with people, patient of their faults and their provocations, being patient with people. Ways where we see this word show up, it's a descriptor of what love is. First Corinthians 13, love is patient. It's a description of who God is. Second Peter 3, 9, God is patient with us. Thank God. Galatians 5.22, patience is a fruit, not of me being a really nice dude or trying really hard. No, patience is a fruit of the spirit. The presence of God in my life can anchor me and help me remain patient. The word patience is a relationship word. It's a relationship word. Hanging in there with people. It doesn't mean overlooking fault it means replacing grumbling with this. First Thessalonians 5.14. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Admonish the idle, like we spur each other on, right? Encourage the faint-hearted. Like, man, there have been times where friends of mine have like looked me in the eye and said the things I needed to hear and hung in there with me when I'm just, I'm struggling. It'd be easy just to go, man, forget this. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Some of the very people that hurt us were so focused on how they hurt us. We're missing like, what's behind that? What are they going through? What's their struggle? Like, can I, can I see beyond the pain I just experienced? What might be going on with them? And maybe my role is actually to help. Maybe by operating in some forgiveness and grace, I can come alongside someone who's weak and see them through a hard season. Be patient with them all. 
This isn't easy, is it? It's not easy. But the Lord is patient. He is loving. He is kind. He hangs in there with us. He brings the early and the latter rain. And because he comes for us, we can be patient. We can establish our hearts and be patient. Amen? Boy, that was a really strong amen. All right. (laughs) Friends, this is so needed. Does anybody else get discouraged when you just look around at what's happening around us in the world and in the church? It's easy because it is discouraging and it is sad. But I just think more of us need to realize like the solution is people who are just gonna take God at his word and learn to be faithful and hang in there and let him grow us up. I was a knucklehead when I was a kid and a teenager. I still am. Thank God my parent, my mom's amening back there. I'm about to compliment her and she's amening back there as I call myself a knucklehead. But, and look, my parents will be the first to tell you they weren't perfect parents, but they, but they hung in there. They hung in there. They loved Jesus and they hung in there with me. They patiently endured hard seasons and probably moments where it looked like, is this kid ever gonna figure it out? What if we did that more with each other? What if we were becoming the sort of people who recognized how patient the Lord had been with us And instead of being so quick to bail or to grumble, we said, Lord, the same way you've been patient with me, will you now help me to walk this out with other people? That sounds a lot like praying for patience, Jim. It does, which is a scary thing to do because it'll create the very need for it, right? All right, let's keep going. Point one, that was a long point one. Point two, be steadfast the Lord is working. So I already kind of alluded to this, this word steadfast or endurance. It's similar to patience, but in a little bit of a different light. So be steadfast. Not not only can we be patient because the Lord is coming, we can be steadfast because the Lord is working. The Lord is currently presently working so I can be steadfast. James 5, 10 and 11. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. That's what Hebrews 11 is all about. Like we call it like the hall of faith. You know, we just see these people and like you read the stories, hard things were happening. Those aren't stories of just all these beautiful blessings and wonderful things. It's like, no, like the stuff's hitting the fan and these people hung in there. So take note, like we we bless them because they remained steadfast. That's endurance. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate, compassionate and merciful. See, in the midst of the call for us to be steadfast and Job's held up as an example here, the reminder is the Lord has a purpose. He's working And he's working in the midst of these hard, difficult things. He's working good stuff. He's working compassionately and and mercifully. And so we can hang in there. And so this idea of being steadfast, it's about how you respond to circumstances. 
being able to persevere in the face of difficulties. One of the things James does throughout his letter is like he established things early on. He circles back to them to, to remind, to reinforce, and even to like kind of strengthen what he's saying. And so this echoes what he said in chapter one, where we started like week one of this series, James one, two through four. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. The very trial produces that endurance. It produces that thing. And what does that do? It's what the whole series has been about. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. The very thing that we want to just end and be over and get out of, or that we wish we had never experienced in the first place, the difficulty, the struggle, the trial. God's saying, I am actively working in those moments. And, I, and it might not even feel like I'm being very merciful and compassionate, but I am. I'm present with you in these moments and I'm working for your benefit. And I'm, I'm, I'm helping you discover this backbone. That's not rooted in your good old American, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's rooted in him. I'm standing on him and his promises. And I'm relying upon his faithful presence in these moments. And so I can see that he's at work. Now, James holds up Job as an example. And listen, I mean, this could be an entire series or its own sermon or whatever. And I'm gonna go through this real quick. But let's just be reminded of the steadfastness of Job for a couple of minutes. First of all, I just thought, I thought it'd be interesting to kind of highlight this here. You know, the whole, the whole Job story starts out with the Lord just saying, consider Job. And I know what we're about to read is a dialogue between him and the accuser, Satan. But like it's in, we're invited in the book of Job for all of us to consider Job. Job 1.8, the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man? Not, not perfect in the sense of never getting it wrong, but perfect in the sense we've been learning in James. Whole, complete, like just a solid guy who fears God and turns away from evil. So there was this steadfastness, this wholeness, this maturity that was already at work in Job's life. He already had a life that was aligned with being faithful to the Lord. And then everything goes sideways. The story hits, he loses everything, his wealth, his children, his health, even the support of his faithful friends is lost. He's utterly alone. It's the stripping away of everything. And yet in the midst of that, as Job comes through this long journey, I know I'm fast forwarding through, I mean, 40 chapters, but as Job comes through this long journey in the midst of the lowest of the low that you could possibly be at, Job catches a glimpse of who God really is. And God never gives him the why to any of it. But what he does do is he gives him the gift of himself. In the midst of Job's struggle and suffering, he sees God in a way he's never seen before. God reveals himself. 
And Job says these words, I had heard of you. This is Job 42, five and six. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job's awareness and repentance comes through suffering and he experiences the Lord that he's known, but he experiences the Lord that he's known at an even deeper level. Some of the biggest gifts in my life have come right on the other side of intense struggle and suffering. Where suddenly it's like things I've known about the Lord, things I've read about him, things I've seen other people testify to. But like when I see him with me and for me and seeing me through the difficulty, it's like there's a whole new light. Like I know you said you loved me. And I know you said you'd be faithful, but like you did it right here, right now, in this way, you didn't give up on me. And now I can even look back at that and go, man, I never wanna go through that again, but whoa, I see what you did in that. God, I thought I was trusting you before, but I was kind of trusting some things about you or I was trusting some things you had given me rather than trusting the giver. And you've let me lose some of that stuff for my own benefit that I might learn to rely upon you and you alone. Job went from the hearing of the ear to true sight. He saw the Lord in a way that he hadn't before. I love this. I feel like James is alluding to this right here. James 5.11, we just read it. I'm just gonna pick up in the middle of verse. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how he is compassionate and merciful. Thank God that we can look to those who have gone before. So when we hit our moment, where we're moving from hearing to seeing, we can recognize it. Oh, God, you're in this. I don't know how, I don't know why, but I'm choosing to hang on in the midst of this trial and difficulty to believe you're here. And the Lord restores, Job 42.10. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job. And I thought this was interesting. When he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. I want you to see this. The Lord's working and the Lord does his part to restore. He restores all the things that Job cannot restore on his own. So the Lord does his part. What does Job do? He's patient and he endures. He endured the trials and circumstances and he was patient with his friends who were unfaithful to him. He did both things that James is talking about. He hung in there with his friends and he prayed for them. They had let him down. Like the bros covered in like boils. He's miserable. His children have died. He's lost everything. And his friends are like, I think this is your fault, bro. And he prayed for them before he was restored. We can all pray for our friends when the blessing has come. Will we be patient in the middle of it when it's hard? 
He prayed for his friends. When we learn to rely on the Lord's promises and then trust that he is working, then we experience his faithful love firsthand. And we grow in patience and we grow in endurance and we get anchored even more in the great love of God. And we mature in our walk with him. This isn't an easy message. It's not an easy message to preach. And I got to tell you, it's really not an easy message to live. But it's rooted in who he is. It's rooted in the fact that he is long-suffering. He is steadfast. He is faithful. And what we learn to do is believe that he's coming when we can't see it. And that he's actually presently working even when we can't see it. And if we hang in there, we see him at levels we've never seen him before, and we grow. Now, if it was me, I would have ended right there, right? Like that covered it. And yet James is like, I got to just tack on one more thought here. And so if James thought it was important to include this, then I guess we ought to pay attention, huh? Verse 12, but above all, Okay, this is like one of those phrases that joins things together. Everything I've just been saying about patience and endurance, above all, in light of all of this, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so you may not fall under condemnation. Man, what is he talking about? Why is he off on this tangent about like not swearing, not making an oath? What is this about? Well, first of all, I think the, the very clue is in the final word there. So you may not fall under condemnation. It's not really the best translation of that word. It's not condemnation the way we think like we're going to be punished. That word actually means hypocrisy. Let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you don't fall into hypocrisy. This is about being a faithful person. A person who just, like, their word can be counted on. I don't need to qualify it with false promises. Like, my yes is yes, my no is no. There's a sense of, of just being, like, what you see is what you get. The call here is to be loyal because we belong to the Lord. We belong to him. We've seen throughout this letter how James is echoing things that we see throughout the Sermon on the Mount. And this is like an exact quote of Christ in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 33 through 37. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, and do not take an oath by your head if you cannot make one hair white or black. I guess they didn't have hair dye kits. <laughs> Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So while James is quoting Jesus, Jesus is quoting from the Old Testament here. And he and James are both saying the same thing. Be a person of your word. And I want to give you three ways we can be people of our word as we wrap this up. 
The, the whole idea here is not swearing before God or others flippantly. So three things. Number one, be a person of your word in dealing with others. Luke 19, 11, or sorry, wow, I just saw an L. Leviticus 19, 11 through 12. Leviticus 19, 11 through 12. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. When we take on his name, we are representatives of him to the world. See, I think the reason James is landing here is like, if I'm gonna learn how to be patient with other people and then I'm gonna learn how to be patient in other circumstances, the, the culmination of this is I become the sort of person that isn't going around causing a bunch of trial and difficulty for others. I'm becoming the sort of person that isn't harming other people along the way. I'm becoming a person that represents Christ well. And so I don't take his name up flippantly I represent him well. And so I'm a person of character who can be trusted. And so I'm a person of my word in dealing with others. If I say I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it, man. I'm just, I'm gonna be faithful. I'm also not gonna be flippant and say yes to a bunch of stuff I should have never said yes to in the first place. See, I think for some of us, we need to learn the no that he's talking about here. Let your no be no. So then the things you actually say yes to, you can do them. Because you're not being pulled a million different directions because you try to be this yes person who then lets everybody down because you're constantly scrambling to keep up. Like this gets very practical. And so let's, let's be people who can be counted on our dealings with others. Number two, be a person of your word in your relationship with God. Deuteronomy 23. 21 through 23. If you make a vow to the Lord, you shall not delay fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you and you'll be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what has passed your lips. For if you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. See, I think what the, the real root of this issue here, let me read one more verse actually before I get to this. So be a person of your word in your relationships with others. Be a person of your word in your relationship with the Lord. Don't be quick to make flippant promises. Like really think about like commitments you've made to the Lord and like stick with them. And James, Jesus, and Moses, you're all saying the same thing. Maybe it's just better off to like not overly commit to things you're not gonna be able to follow through on. And so kind of the root of all of this, if we're called to be a person of our word with others and with the Lord, the root of all this is right here in Exodus 20, verse seven. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. This, this is not about cursing with like an expletive. This is about not taking up God's name lightly. If I'm taking up his name I am associating myself with Christ. I represent him to the world. And so I don't take that lightly. It is a great honor to carry his name so I understand and fulfill my commitment as a follower of Christ. See, I don't even know if this resonates with many of us because 
I believe we have a huge generation of people in our current culture who don't understand, much less adhere to, covenant. We make commitments so lightly and we throw them away so quickly. We make financial covenants and commitments. And then, oh well, well that didn't go as planned, oh well. We make relational commitments and covenants. And we, we, we throw away relationships and we throw away covenants so quickly. The, the invitation here isn't to make a ton of covenants. In fact, it's the opposite. Like be, be careful, slow down and really consider what you're actually doing. Don't be flippant about this, but then be a person of your word. Be a person of your word. Be someone who can be counted on by the Lord and by others because we're his representatives. Like, I, guys, I know that there's a lot to all this, but like, here's, here's like a little summary for us to take away, okay? The Lord is coming, the Lord is working, and we belong to him. If I've taken up his name, I belong to him. And so he wants me personally and in my family to be able to hang in there, to hang in there and be patient with people, to hang in there through trials and hard circumstances. But he also wants me to become the sort of person that shines some hope for others. Because this world needs a glimpse of our faithful, good God. And if all they see is a bunch of people who don't even seem to take that seriously in their own life, why would I believe in him? When the church is filled with hypocrisy and people who hurt each other and throw each other away so easily, who turn their back on God and look like the rest of the culture, worshiping other idols so easily, walking away from our faith so easily when it gets difficult. We're not accurately representing Christ to a world that needs him. And so by God's grace, he's patient with us. By God's grace, he's steadfast and faithful. By God's grace, he keeps his commitments and by looking to him and clinging to him and relying upon him, he brings this beautiful like early and latter rain. He refreshes us along the way and he grows us into the sort of people who what you see is what you get. Just a real person who has experienced the life-changing love of Jesus. And I'm in awe of the fact that he would call me his and that I could be a small little representation of him to his bride and to the world that he longs to draw to himself because he's coming. Amen? Anybody think we might need some help from him on this? Yeah. Here's the good news. Some of the hardest things that the Lord might call us to, the invitation is never go do that or I'll be really mad at you. The invitation is, come to me and watch me do this in you and through you. The hardest things he calls us to are an invitation to lean into him and watch what he does as we lean into him and he helps us along the way. My hope is that's what you hear this morning, the Lord's invitation to walk with him in a deeper, more intimate way in the midst of a world that's hard and relationships that are hard. Let's pray.
God, thank you for your brother James, our brother James now. Jesus, thank you for your heart for us. Lord, thank you that this stuff is true all the way back. It's what you intended all the way back, even in those Old Testament days, that we would see you as the faithful God who keeps his promises, who's present and active in our lives, and who is always faithful to keep his commitments. Thank you that any covenants we make are rooted in you, the covenant God, who never lets us down. And now, Lord, our our prayer this morning is we need your help. God, to be patient with people, to endure hard seasons, to be faithful people who represent you well. Lord, we need your help. And so, God, my prayer this morning for myself and my friends here today is simply this. Lord, that we could move from hearing about you to seeing you. God, that you would allow us to see you present and working in our lives in all seasons at all times. And may we endure. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.